Welcome to Before the Come Up. In this podcast, I sit down with a different member of the Columbia Business School class of 2023 each week. I learn about their backgrounds, their upbringings, and things that motivate them and drive them. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get right into it. I am so excited to be joined today by Dalisu. Dalisu, welcome. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I've read a lot about the podcast. I've listened to a few episodes and it's great to be here. It's great to be here. Amazing. Let's start by you telling us your full name and let's start with the story of your name. Yeah. So my name is a, is a, it's a contentious name. Interesting. Um, my first name is actually Waiyaki. And my father gave me the name Waiyaki uh, to mean leader. I was named after a Kenyan chief who fought against colonial rule. Um, and for him, that was a, the epitome of a leader. However, when I was five, um, which we'll unpack if you want us to, my mom and dad didn't see eye to eye. So much so that my mom didn't want the name Waiyaki anymore. My grandmother then said, no, that's his name. That's his identity. Mm. We will add the name Dalisu, which is Zulu and means make a plan. Ah. Because for her, she said, you will one day be a leader who will make a plan for the world. So my grandmother, um, I guess, is my role model and the person who gave me this name, which has meant the world to me. Amazing. So powerful. Yeah. Um, I, I love that story. Um, you were dropping a few clues and breadcrumbs there about your culture. So let's dive right into that. I'm so excited to hear about this. So why don't you tell us where you're from and what it was like growing up where you're from? What is your background? What do you consider to be your culture? Give us, paint us a picture of this. Yeah, of course. So I'm from, I'm from South Africa and I was born at the dawn of democracy in 92. It was a jubilant time in the country. Uh, Nelson Mandela had been released from prison two years earlier. We had our democratic elections in 94. So my father was a Malawian migrant who came to South Africa for opportunities, met my mother who was a South African Zulu woman, uh, fell in love, and Waiyaki, who then became Waiyaki Talisu, was born. Um, and so my mom was someone who believed in the power of education. And so when I was two, she bought my brother and I a set of encyclopedias. Wow. Um, I couldn't obviously read that at the time, but it was there. And um, unfortunately, when I was five, um, I lost both my parents. So my mother passes away um, due to HIV and AIDS, which was, a, which was an issue at the time in South Africa. Still is an issue, but we've moved ahead with, you know, ARV treatment. Um, and then a few months later, my father passes away. Um, I don't know the circumstances under which he passed away, but uh, apparently he got shot. So at five, um, I lost both my parents and um, my grandmother was the person who then stepped up to the plate. Wow, I'm so sorry to hear that. No, it's all, it's all good. Um, yeah, we are here in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So 
so I grew up in a place called Yeovil mm -hmm. in the inner city of Johannesburg. Um, so I relate a lot to Javon Francis, who's one of your guests, because he's from the Bronx. Um, so we come, I guess, from similar areas where there's a lot of people who come to, to South Africa and don't have their immigration papers. There's people trying to make a living. Um, there's people with broken dreams, broken hearts, um, but a huge African community in Yeovil. And so there I was, a Zulu, a Zulu boy with an incredible grandmother, um, with cousins who were essentially my siblings in an African context, and um, living in South Africa, but also tapping into stories and people from different parts of the continent. And that added um, immense value to my, to my childhood. Amazing, amazing. Wow, that, that's very deep. Thank you so much for sharing that. I guess off the bat, I mean, so many questions come to mind, but one of the ones which I, I just have to ask is mm -hmm. what, and I can, you know, because of the stories you've just shared, I imagine that growing up had so many trials and tribulations as well as uplifting moments. The fact that you are here, you know, in Columbia Business School, one of the elite institutions in the world shows the power of your perseverance and I'm sure there's so many people along the way who have helped you, made sure you followed along the right path. But I want to start by asking, what were some of the challenges of growing up the way you did? Mm -hmm. And then pivot that on to what were the things you considered blessings? What were the best things yeah. you take away from having your upbringing? Yeah. Um... It's so, sorry, GT, you bring out the best parts because I'm thinking through a lot of these experiences right now as you're speaking, and I guess I'm getting emotional because it's very real for me. Um, but the tough pieces are obviously, my, my mother was doing well. She was working at South African Airways, SAA, which you know very well. For sure. She was on the come up, she was studying for medicine. So she was very aspirational. Um, and then that gets taken away from you. And she was very loving. So I remember my mom is very loving and endearing. Um, so that gets taken away from you at an early age. And my family, my grandmother then becomes, you know, the person who needs to take care of four kids, um, which is my brother and I and my two cousins. And, you know, she didn't have much. So there were times we went to bed on an empty stomach um, there were times when, you know, we couldn't pay rent. There was one moment where um, we moved back and forth because she was trying to figure out the situation. Her brother, my, my granduncle slash grandfather, had agreed to host us, but then there were too many people in his house in Durban. Wow. So he then took the executive decision to say, out. Mm. And... Um, we had to, my grandmother had to hustle, which she did, because we would have ended up on the streets. Um, so she got like a back room and made a quick agreement. And then we, we had a place to stay and sleep. So those are some of like the tough moments. And then obviously like I went to a primary school, which uh, the, the neighborhood is Houghton, which is more affluent. That's where Nelson Mandela lived. Um, that's where wealth, some of the wealthy people in South Africa live. 
So here I am in Yeovil walking to Houghton and it was like these worldviews colliding on a daily basis. And then being in a school where I couldn't afford school fees um, and being reminded of that, um, you know, in little ways, um, you know, your parents aren't there to pick you up from school. Uh, your parents aren't attending prize giving when you are crushing it academically and you're on the chess team and, you know, you're number one and all these things. So those are some of the tough pieces. But the beautiful pieces, as you can tell, is um, my grandmother, um, Unomusa Dorothy Joacha, born in 1942 in Stanger, was a person who, despite these obstacles, told me to believe in myself. We were best friends. Um, I would listen to her, her stories. I would see the way she wrote letters to school and the way she signed it, like the little things. Um, I learned about her history. They had been very wealthy um, under apartheid South Africa as a black family, but things happened that, you know, changed the fortunes of her story. And um, teachers at school who were very kind and saw my intellectual curiosity. Um, one person who was instrumental in that, um, my best friend Charles was in high school. This is years later. We're in grade eight. He used to bring me food because he noticed that sometimes I didn't have food. And he'd also give me money to take the taxi back home. Um, every Monday, Charles would disappear. So I'd be like, Charles, where are you? Um, we hang out a lot and, you know. And then Charles said, I go to these extra math lessons. So I then decide I'm going to join him. And then the teacher's like, you can join in, but it's for the scholarship kids. And Charles and I competed academically as well. Long story short, um, I then discover a few years later, I get the scholarship, which I wasn't meant to get. But I discover a few years later that the math teacher told the director of the scholarship program that there's a guy called Dalisu. He's very smart. Don't pay me my salary. Use my salary as a scholarship. Wow. I find out five, six, seven. I find out seven years later. I'm now in second year uh, at the University of Cape Town. I had to give a speech because the director of the scholarship program passed away. Mm. I'd written him a letter thanking him for the role he had played in our lives. Um, and after I gave the speech, a lady comes up to me and says, with tears in her eyes, she says, Dalisu, do you not remember me? And I hear the voice and I cried. And so I'm getting emotional. Um, but that was Mrs. Barry, Margie Barry. And we're still in touch today. And one of, the, one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever met. And the director of the scholarship program, Frank Simmons, believed in my best friends and I, um, Charles and Darlington. And um, yeah, I'm saying a lot, but yeah, that's those. Um, Mr. Simmons leveled the playing field for us. We I went to Highlands North Boys High School. Um, shout out to I'm a Highlander. I'm a Highlander. Fede Makiangye. And it was a, it wasn't the, it wasn't a feeder school. It wasn't a target school as well. So I know the feeling of being in a school that's overlooked, where a lot of people, um, society places, society doesn't um, have high expectations of you. 
and my best friends and I in that environment with um, with Mr. Simmons in the in the scholarship program, you know, fought against the odds, got good grades in our final year, and I ended up at the University of Cape Town, which is the best university in Africa. And um, my favorite day in my life, um, the best day in my life was flying with my grandmother to Cape Town, getting to the University of Cape Town and her making my bed and praying and thanking God for the journey that it took for us to be there because it, it was the culmination of everything, everything. Um, and yeah, and so always grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so, so powerful. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, I, you know, I took a lot from that. I just love hearing you talk about South Africa because as we've discussed off the mic, um, growing up, I used to spend a lot of time in South Africa because my older sister was living there. She went to boarding school there and she actually went to UCT as well. So you guys are uh, alumni of the same school. Um, you know, South Africa always fascinated me and I always was so interested about the country and the culture every time I visited. It was so different to what mm-hmm. I was used to. Um, it kind of blended the best of Ghana, mm-hmm. what I knew from growing up in Ghana, and the best of what I had experienced of traveling to Europe. It was kind of like unlike anything I'd ever seen. It, it makes the best and the worst of all those places. I'm kind of curious to know if you were to tell someone about South Africa, and of course you can always always talk, only talk from your point of view and how you have experienced it, but how would you essentially tell someone about South Africa, um, your homeland, give, give us kind of like a brief yeah. um, overview of yeah. what it was like being from there what it is like being from there what is the culture like what is Mm. the country like just share something about south africa with us um, yeah for those who don't know right yeah hey south africa uh a beautiful country with beautiful people um so we obviously have this history of racial segregation which um, you're aware of through Trevor Noah's story, Born a Crime. And um, South Africa had institutionalized racism, apartheid laws, which meant that if you were black, you didn't get a good education, you didn't go to university. Your task in life was to be a servant and you were um, a subpar human being. So much like the United States, there's, um, I guess, a similar, a similar racial history. And what that's meant is the white South Africans have had resources, which they've accumulated over time. There's issues about land um, and then dispersion of opportunity. And black people were traditionally, I guess, poorer. It has changed a little bit but it's still the same. And those are some of the issues that our government has grappled with. So that's, I guess, high level um, history of South Africa. But what South Africa is today is, um, as you rightly say, it's a tale of two cities, to quote Charles Dickens. Um, 
you have wealthy parts like Houghton, right? And then up the road, there's Yeovil. You have Alexandra Township, where people are, um, there's, I don't know what the statistics are, but it's um, people living in squalid living conditions. And then you have Santon, which is the richest square mile in Africa. And Santon would be like any prime real estate in New York or London. And if we're being honest, it would blow it out of the water. Like yeah. Some of the things you see in South Africa make, like, you know, Europe and America look like you scratch your head like, wow, like this is even better. Mm. This is even like, it makes those areas look subpar. It's yeah. wild. Yeah. So you have that, right? But at the same time, you have poverty. Mm. Um, I remember taking, uh, I was working for a company at some point and we went to Neisner, Plettenberg, beautiful area. And then you drive past and there's a township. Yeah. When you're in Cape Town, you land at the airport and then you drive past and you see the townships on the side of the road. And then you get to, um, to Rondebosch, which is where the university was, beautiful. There's Camps Bay, there's Constantia. So it's this country where you have um, extremes and those extremes are still skewed towards the color of your skin. And um, how is South Africa is, um, I'd say right now, obviously our music is blowing up. I'm a piano, um, which is uh, a beautiful, if you haven't listened to I'm a piano, get just please stop playing around um, give our listeners a couple of recommendations <laughs> you know that they can go straight to youtube or spotify and look, get up to get up to pace yeah you won't go wrong with gabza the small um and dj maporisa those are the two guys um killing it as well as dim tuda and then many more it's insane so south africa our music is great um and I think it's because we have so much trauma that music and dance is a form of therapy for us. It's a way to escape our realities and like, you know, have fun and let loose. And then um, what else would I say about my bringing in South Africa, what the country is? I mean, I'm here today, right? So something was done, something went right, but I'm one out of how many, you know? And what we should do is create an environment um, where there are many Dalisus and many um, female Dalisus or non-conforming Dalisus who are who can take their their who can take their role in you know in in central places in the world who can aspire to greater things and tastes and so we have talented people beautiful people. Um, but we also have this history, which is hard to reconcile. Mm. It's a constant tension. Um, you walk into certain restaurants mm. in Cape Town, which is, I've experienced, and based on the color of my skin, I'm treated differently. But when I'm in Johannesburg, it's a different situation because you have a budding black middle class. Mm. You see uh, black people living in prime areas, driving amazing cars, working in the corporate structures and in, in the corporate arena, killing it. Um, and those are like stories to look to. Uh, and those are some of the people that have inspired me to be where I am today, who gave me the playbook, who were like, okay, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to focus on. 
and you'll you'll reach for the stars. So I don't know if I've done your question justice, because um, South Africa is just it's a hauntingly beautiful place, right? Right, right. Yeah, and I think you know it's it's. Uh, I gave you an impossible task there to basically summarize one of the most interesting and complex nations in a short time. So what I would say to any listener of this podcast who that statement from Dalisu has piqued your interest, I'd highly recommend you go and do some research, some reading, um, and learn about this fascinating part of the world. Now I'd love to move on to your background before CBS, as in your career journey before arriving yeah. to Columbia Business School. So firstly, tell us what you did mm-hmm. before coming to decide to get your MBA. And then tell us a little bit about what ultimately inspired you to pursue an MBA. Yeah, yeah. So immediately before Columbia, I was at a fintech company solving the huge task of payments in Africa uh, called MFS Africa, um, which stands for Mobile Financial Services. And I was working with Rachel Balsham, who was deputy CEO, and Dario Cujo, who was the founder and CEO. Um, I was helping the company raise capital, which is, uh, I guess, as you said, there's now a scramble for Africa, particularly in tech and fintech. So I was, um, I wasn't part of the scramble because I'm African, but I was helping build the African ecosystem and it was the most gratifying period of my career. And I would want to go back any day. Um, so yeah, that was my focus, corporate finance, raising capital, but also we made a few minority investments and an acquisition. So a corporate VC model as well. Amazing, amazing. And tell us what inspired you to ultimately then make that transition to come to Colombia, get your MBA, um, move to New York City. Mm. Yeah, so I, I, the MBA had always been on my horizons, mm-hmm. but uh, serendipitously, I met a man called Michael Robinson in South Africa. Wow. Who um, was telling us about Colombia and spoke to a few schools, but Michael was interested in me as a person, in my story. Um, and what I hope to achieve. And so Columbia was then on the radar for me. Um, I visited Booth as well. Uh, So I came to New York in 2018. So I visited Columbia, visited Booth. But the experience for me um, at Columbia was, it was like, these guys are interested in me as a person. And that that is worth more than gold to me. Um, and then the, another inspiring piece was the founders of the fintech I worked for all had MBAs. They were all at INSEAD. My manager, uh, Rachel, was at Wharton. Our chief operations officer got an MBA from MIT. So I was like, well, firstly, these people are incredibly talented. And the way they articulate their points and carry themselves... Um, and you know the company environment and outside the company environment was inspiring and um i was like i want that too but i i want to be a person who 
who has the necessary toolkit to be able to be an effective business leader in Africa and the world for that matter. So that's why I'm here. Amazing. I love that. <laughs> Shout out to Michael Robinson as well. Um, Shout out to Michael Robinson. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So tell me, what do you hope to do mm-hmm. once completing your MBA? A great question, which is uh, which induces anxiety amongst many MBA students. But yeah, for me, Africa is um, given my work at MFS Africa. I saw the amount of potential that's available that is on the continent, the people, um, and just how you could marry your skills. Having done, you know, a finance degree, worked in a bank and then a fintech company i could make it work on the continent and make an impact so i want to at some point i want to start a fund um or an investment holding company we'll see but i want to invest in the next generation of africa's entrepreneurs particularly in the technology space so um i would like to do that after my mba maybe join a, a vc or a corporate VC that's interested in, in, in the continent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. That's so exciting. I cannot wait to follow your story and where this goal and passion ultimately takes you. On the topic of passions, and goals <laughs> and motivations, I'm curious to hear what it is that you're passionate about. Um, you know, you've dropped so many breadcrumbs just listening to you. We can get a sense that you are very driven. You are a very talented and very passionate person. So I would just love you to kind of like go deeper, elaborate mm-hmm. on some of the things that drive you, the things yep. that motivate you and the things which you just enjoy. What are your hobbies? What are your yep. passions? Just <laughs> tell us, bro. All right. All right. All right. Well, I guess at a deeper level, what motivates me and drives me is... Firstly, I have a tagline that people always see on Instagram. It's called Yindelendlela. And Yindelendlela is Zulu, which means this is a long journey. Mm. And I see myself as um, a person who's carrying the baton in this generation to pass it on to the next generation. Yes. Because Yindelendlela. So I'm a custodian um, and a big piece of why I believe in Yindelendlela is my grandmother who was this, wow, a force of a human being who had seen so many cycles through life, who had had a heart broken, who experienced loss, but still in that messy environment was able to raise me and my my siblings. And she inspires me. And that was the big reason why I wanted to come to school is I want to share my grandmother's story with the world. so that is one person or two things, Indelendlela and my grandmother. And then I'd say secondly um, on that is something that drives me is to bring out the best in people. And so I've often said, you know, that analysis of what you want your legacy to be, what you want people to say when you've, when you've left this world. And for me, it's I want people to, to say, he made me believe. And the ending is your whatever it is. He made me believe in myself. He made me believe in us. He made me believe. So I want people to believe and I, I want people to 
believe in their personal power and what we can achieve um, if we tackle difficult problems together. So that's something that drives me consistently is I still want to be, I want to go to Yeovil in South Africa in December and be and talk to the kids and like, hey, this is this was my journey. Your journey may look different, but believe in it. And then also tying that up with resources, because that's an unspoken truth, is you need access to people, to capital, to make your dreams a reality. Um, so that's something that drives me as well, is not necessarily the philosophy, but being practical about it as well. And then my passions, um, I love playing soccer. Um, I went to Highlands North was incredible in soccer. Those guys were insane. They ended up, a lot of them ended up becoming professional soccer players. Wow. So I couldn't end up on the soccer team. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly, um, music as well. So interestingly, one of the guys who pioneered Amapiano as well was from my high school. Wow. Utumelo um, or Jazzy Q. And then Umpura, who passed away recently, soul rest in peace, was also in my high school. Music, fashion, my best friend who I met in high school, Wanda Leporto, is a fashion designer. He's incredible. Um, he was selling his items with Nordstrom. And um, that female actress from Blackish was wearing one of his t-shirts, Yara Shahidi. Um, he did London Fashion Week. Wow. So music, fashion, yeah. soccer, and um, what, what would another passion be? Writing. Uh-huh. Writing oh, is yes. a passion. I, I, I've been lucky enough to witness <laughs> some of Dalisu's pen skills, man. <laughs> and I have to say, this guy is a real writer, man. A real, a real, he's got a real skill with the pen. So. Oh, thank you. So yeah, writing would be one of them. So therapeutic and a way to, to capture narratives and structure my thoughts. Yeah. Amazing. Oh my goodness. There's just so much to go off there. Um, Okay, so I'll basically lay out a roadmap out loud so we don't forget anything. At this section of the podcast, I'll typically ask someone like, oh, tell us about someone who inspires you. But I don't think I need to ask that question because I see the influence and inspiration that your grandmother has been in your life. So I don't need to ask who, mm -hmm. but I would like to ask about some of the lessons you have taken away from her, some of the things that you credit her for your being today. What are some of those? Um, just tell us some more about this inspiration because she sounds like an incredible woman and I'm sure there is a countless list of things that you are grateful for her um, to have taught you, to have guided you. So just share a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. I'd say the first one is self-worth and seeing yourself and... Because for all sense of purposes, on a technical basis, I am an orphan, right? But I've never seen myself as an orphan because my grandmother was like, I will treat you guys the same. Daliso is capable of this. Mbumi is capable of that. Skumbuzo, Pindile, you know? So my grandmother um, leveled the playing field for me, which is why I think I ended up being here because from an early age, I was like, yeah, I mean, cool. This is my life story, but... I can be as talented as anyone who's in New York, Tokyo, Singapore, you know? So my grandmother gave me that ability 
and believe to to go for it. And then second is um, she was always laughing and smiling. And I think that's contributed to now in later years, not really taking myself too seriously, but having fun and enjoying life. I, I love dancing um, and music, as I've said, and I let loose when I'm on the dance floor. I dance because uh, it's my form of protest, you know, and um, it's my form of expression as well. And that's something my grandmother taught me is just live and smile um, and, 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 and show up. And then I'd say the third thing is resilience and perseverance. I remember being in Scotland and you know how life is in the UK when it gets rainy mm -hmm. and cold. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, oh man, this sucks. And then I just imagine my grandmother laughing at me saying, hey, wake up, go get it. And that kept me going. And then lastly and most importantly is faith. When my grandmother was ill on her deathbed, um, she said, she told me to never stop praying and believing. And that is something, prayer, faith, belief is, um, is something that, that's carried me or, or centered me as well and anchored me. And that's something I got from my grandmother. You mentioned something just earlier about your time in Scotland. So, of course, um, as some people may know, but many may not, you are a well-traveled man. <laughs> you have lived in different parts of the world. So yeah. share with us a little bit about your experience living in the UK, living in Scotland. What brought you there? What did yeah. you ultimately do there? And then share any cool or fun stories about your time there. <laughs> of course. So I... I was a student leader in at UCT, the University of Cape Town, and for all my troublemaking, ended up in Scotland at a leadership conference hosted by Common Purpose. And I was then shortlisted to be one of 10 students to meet Prince Charles and the sponsors of the program. Wow. And so we went to Dumfries House in Scotland, which is Prince Charles's um, estate. And there I was mingling with Prince Charles and a few executives from, you know, the British corporate environment. And that's how I got my job is I was with the HR director, uh, Pauline Lafferty, and the CEO, um, Keith Cochran, of a global engineering company called the Weir Group, which was based in Glasgow. So a few months later, when I was back in South Africa, having secured an investment banking offer, I then emailed them and said, it seems like I'm gonna be an investment banker in South Africa, do you guys have any ideas? And then they responded and said, hold that thought, we have ideas for you. Long story short, interviewed, and then um, joined as a strategy and corporate development analyst, reporting to the director of strategy, um, Andrew Nelson, and um, yeah, got my career off to a flying start. I was, I was 21 in London, helping, um, creating quarterly, summarizing quarterly results of our peer companies, doing analysis of the oil market, oil and gas markets, which you're familiar with through your sister's work, 
um, preparing strategy documents for the board, um, emailing the group executive, you know, okay, this is what the oil markets look like this month, emailing the CEO every week what North American oil rigs were doing um, through Baker Hughes' website. So I got thrown into the deep end. And then six months later, I was tasked with managing the company's entire strategic planning process. And as you can tell, these worldviews, right? Like from South Africa, here I am at a FTSE 100 company working with these executives and being given responsibility. And so I guess that gave my career a head start and taught me diplomacy and soft skills because the older crowd tends to behave and work in a certain way. Um, and so for that, I'll always be grateful to have started my career at the Wear Group. And then my time in the UK, I mean, so I have the honor of having met Prince Charles and the Queen, um, Her Majesty, as they say in the United Kingdom, in case my friends kick me when I'm having a drink in London and Shoreditch, <laughs> which is some of the cool things that I've experienced. Um, so I served on the board of youth advisory board of an initiative called the Queen's Young Leaders, which was awarding individuals from across the Commonwealth who were doing amazing work in mental health and, you know, tackling poverty, unemployment and social justice. And so as a, a board member, panel advisory member, I was invited to Buckingham Palace. Wow. <laughs> And then when you walk into Buckingham Palace, I didn't expect to meet the Queen, but they have your name, Dalisu Wayakijwara from South Africa, Your Majesty. And then she welcomes you into Buckingham Palace. Wow. And then there's all these celebrities, David Beckham, um, I mean, and you, other UK celebrities. I don't remember. I remember David Beckham because I'm a soccer stan. So that was a cool moment. But another cool moment is meeting friends i had a friend um marie therese marie therese peng she she was she was a student at oxford at the time they lived in stratton which is south of london and so every month i'd go to london and i'd hang out with her and her family and they became my family and um would have fun exploring london taking walks meeting people partying in london um, and interacting with some South Africans there because Scotland, uh, I was in the extreme minority. Um, so yeah, those are some of the cool experiences I had in the United Kingdom. It was, uh, was a great time. Amazing. <laughs> now I've got to ask about, I've got to ask about you moving to New York. What are some of your observations? What are some of the experiences that you hope to um, do whilst you're in New York, what are some of the things which are meeting expectations as in like, oh, this is exactly how I pictured <laughs> it. What are the, some of the surprises? Tell me about your experience now being in the big city, man. Oh, man. Firstly, I have to say, on the record, it's the greatest city in the world. I have been fortunate to, you know, I've lived in different cities in South Africa. I've, I've been to Singapore. I've been to Beijing. I've lived in the UK, but man, nothing beats New York. I wake up in the morning feeling so grateful when I hear that, that ambulance siren 
or the fire truck. It's all I can say is this, right? New York and the NBA experience is like, you know, you always have coffee with your favorite people. Now, New York brings all those people together in one environment. Um, I met a guy called Damien, who's an art director at the MoMA, who wants to show me around the MoMA. I met a lady called Allison, who's a senior producer on Trevor Noah's show. I've met people who are doing, you know, who are DJs in the city. It's just like, where in the world could I meet everyone like this in, in one space? And New Yorkers are, there's a lot of energy. It's intense. Um, so I can believe it when they say it, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. It's a very intense city. Um, people may misunderstand and say New Yorkers aren't friendly, but I think it's because everyone is like efficient and in a rush and straight to the point, which is something I'm learning as well and um, being confident. Because even when we were at Chipotle, I noticed with you, because we ordered Chipotle just before we got here, and GT and I were chilling and chatting. But as soon as, he, as we got to Chipotle, he switched up. He's like, that's what I need. Add the guac. Not that. I need that. Add more rice. And that, those are some... The city's teaching me to be more assertive um, and a bit selfish, which, is, which can be a good thing. And, you know, growing up in an African context, we're very communal. But I think this place is, uh, it's magical. I'm going to the theater tomorrow. I'm going to Broadway. Which show? Uh, the Thoughts of a Colored Man. Oh, wow. So my friend exciting. just... Exciting. Exciting, dude. Where would, you know? Yeah. So these are things that are accessible here. And it's, it's exceeded my wildest expectations because as someone who's traveled, you like, now nah, I've, I've seen it all. But this city is just like, no, you haven't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Man, I, love, I love hearing you describe that. I love hearing you talk about those experiences here. Um, I, I think you bring up so many good points. Firstly, you know, the city, like you say, it's efficient. It's like people are all on their missions. Mm. They're all in a bit of a hurry. But, you know, that's one thing I noticed about you from, you know, the few interactions we've had before this moment, Dalisu. Like, you've got a very special ability um, to slow things down in the sense that when people are talking to you, I feel like you relax them, you put them at ease to a point where they can chill out, they can be vulnerable. Um, well, so don't lose that. Yeah. And um, don't let the city, you know... Um, change you too much like um because i think that african culture of community and inclusion that you bring keep keep that going and don't stop that but yeah, yeah no if anyone is yet to bump into dalisu i highly recommend reaching out to this guy man oh wow you are very kind very kind thank you now i want to ask you a fun question do you have any hidden talents i mean you already talked about a lot of your passions and talents but do you have anything that no one would be able to like guess about you just by looking or meeting you for a few minutes? Damn. Hidden talent. I wrote a short story. What? <laughs> Tell me about that. Um, so I spent a lot of time on the road traveling to Guazulu Natal, KZN, uh, the land of my people. Uh, discovering my history, going as far back as Shagazulu, 
who was a Zulu king and brought the Zulu nation together. I went down a rabbit hole finding out about my grandmother's history in Guazulu Natal, finding out that, you know, her family had, like, my grandmother and grandfather had supermarkets, a farm, um, and the Zulu king would come to feast and banquet. And in the surrounding rural areas, everyone did their groceries, poured their petrol at, you know, the, the station they had. And for me, it was fascinating. I was like, you know, what happened? Because my grandmother always said, dude, we had money. And for me, it wasn't believable because I was like, no, but we don't have money now, you know? So I went down this rabbit hole in history, um, finding out where my grandmother was born, Gradful, which is where Albert Lutuli, who was um, the first African to receive a Nobel Peace Prize, was born and, um, and passed away there, but was instrumental and a father figure to Nelson Mandela and Oliver Tambo. And so my grandmother was born in a place like that, left at a young age, became wealthy. And so I wanted to like piece these stories together. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a, a short story, which I, I just shared with a few friends, just uh, chronicling that journey. So I'd say that's something people don't know. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah. I, I hope you pick that, you know, <laughs> that up again somehow in some capacity. Because like I say, you know, from just reading a little bit of your writing, you definitely have a talent for it. And it's it's one of those things that needs to be cultivated. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a muscle which needs to be flexed. So I hope you get the chance to keep doing that. Yeah, yeah. And I dance pretty well, too. Oh, yeah. I can I, move. <laughs> The boys got moves. It. I love it. Yeah, I've seen a few uh, a, a few videos on the old story and the old Insta story. So uh, yeah, maybe you can lead a few lessons to people who, who are looking to get into. I've South tried. African dancing. I've tried. My cluster. We we've been having dinners with different people from different parts of the world. I've tried to teach them. I'm getting there. Oh yeah, I'm it getting might there. Be a tough nut to crack, but <laughs> slow but sure. Yeah. By the end of the two years, by all means, we'll be there. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so at this stage of the pod, I would love you to just have some space to send out some love, some gratitude to any one of your choosing, um, just to say thank you. This is the gratitude section of the pod. Just wow. anyone who you would like to just say thank you to out loud, now is your chance. Yo. Is there a limit? Can I There is no limit, brother. Wow. You can just, you know. First, uh Mrs. Barry, Margie Barry and Duncan Barry. Um grateful to them. The Simmons family, um, associated with the Directs of the Scholarship Program. My family, uh, this would include my sisters, my uncles, who provided the house in which we grew up in and was a mentor, and my other uncle, from the Mshongo family. And then in terms of mentors, I'd say Gary Rafe, Guseni Zamini, Gorbus, Van der Vaart, Keith Cochran, um, and Sim Shabalala, who I want to give a special shout out to because he decided to mentor me when I lost my grandmother um, and taught me what it meant to be a leader, um, a world-class professional, 
and a good human being. In terms of friends um, from UCT, uh, my alma mater, which I share with your sister, I want to shout out to Luba, um, to Lungisa, my brother, uh, to Munya, Leroy, and Mangaka, and also to Tabo and Kati, who've been the people who've inspired me to push myself. And then lastly, to my high school best friends, Darlington, Charles, and Wanda Lopoto. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you guys. Yeah. I love to hear that, man. I love to hear that. And, you know, shout out to all those people you mentioned. You know, it's always nice to hear someone, you know, putting out that gratitude and love and hearing it out loud. So I appreciate you sharing such a long list. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for allowing me to do that. Of course. Yeah. Now, I would like to ask you a question which I ask all my guests. And I'm always, you know, so encouraged and pleasantly surprised by their answers um it really runs the full gamut but essentially the question i'd like to ask is what can someone in the cbs community reach out to you for help about Mm, i guess one would be if you want to understand the fintech tech vc ecosystem in africa definitely If you want to understand and meet people in the South African corporate arena, always willing to help. Um, If I don't know someone, I know someone who does. Um, So I'd say that's more tangible. Like if you need um, to be connected to, I guess, VC people that I may know or people in that ecosystem, friends who are super knowledgeable, also willing to help with that. And then I guess on a personal level, it's, as you've said, which, no, that's very cool. Didn't know I had a superpower of slowing down, of slowing things down. But if you ever, if you ever need someone to listen to you, I, I will listen. Um, whatever it is, if you feel out of place, um, I, I believe in the underdog. I, I believe in supporting the underdog. And if you have any sense of imposter syndrome, like I'm your guy, like reach out to me. But if you feel that, you know, uh, you come from a privileged background or certain things that are demonized in society nowadays, reach out to me as well, because, you know, we can have conversations and I can hold the space and unpack how you feel in a non-judgmental way. Um, and I think that's why I've been able to have friends right across class backgrounds and racial backgrounds in the South African context and friends everywhere in the world and still be able to be an authentic person um, and bring, you know, my, my full presence to the situation. So I'd say that if you need someone to listen to you deeply, I'm your guy. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much for offering that. I hope people take you up on those offers. I'm always so, so um, amazed and grateful by how tight-knit and strong the CBS community is Mm. and how people are willing to really offer their past experiences, talents, and um, just basically have an open door for our class. So thank you once again. And thank you to all the other people who've also been on the podcast and opened their metaphorical door so to say to people to reach out to them for help about things yeah yeah 
to end the podcast, <laughs> I, I would like to ask you to just give us three book recommendations, you know, three books of your choice, which you think would be beneficial for people in the class of 2023 to read. I got you. Okay, so the first would be The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. My brother insisted that I read that book when I was in grade 12 because he was like, I'm returning it back to the person in two days. I read it and was blown away and inspired. And just speaking to the power of having a dream, not letting go of that dream, the obstacles you face in life, and having belief and, 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 and putting in the work to achieve the dream. So that would be book recommendation number one. I'm into biographies, so I have to throw in a biography. Previously, it probably would have been Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom, which is, you know, in the biography category, that would be number two. But number one is, um, which is the second book I'll recommend, is Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. It's Abraham Lincoln's biography. I cried when I finished reading that book because... Um, Abraham Lincoln was such a G. Um, so just his upbringing, and I think I relate to that in, in, certain, in a certain way, but just how this man really had ironclad wool and um, was not the leading candidate for the Republican Party in the 1800s. I think it was 1864, whenever it was, people can correct me. But when he ran for office, he wasn't the leading candidate. And so here was a guy who was overlooked, but ended up being the person who was like the safe option to pick and emerges later as one of the greatest presidents in American history. And his rivals end up becoming the people who love him the most. And so there's so many powerful narratives in that book, even how he realized in his 40s that he's not the best lawyer. He needs to go back and study. So he was studying at night uh, doing Euclidean geometry, reading the law. So what a badass guy. Uh, and then, you know, a great president in the American history, um, one of the greatest. So that's book recommendation number two. And then number three is my favorite, favorite piece of literature ever. Self-Reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson is, uh, I think it's, 20 pages it's an essay also written in the 1800s and speaks to trusting yourself your inner voice um, pursuing greatness and what a beautiful stream of thoughts uh, put together and will make you believe in yourself and will make you question a lot of things in society um, and encourage you to go against the status quo can i add a fourth book of course go for it all right uh the fourth book i want to add is between the world and me by ta nehisi Coates, and that book was very important for me as a black individual a black man navigating a world um that's filled with you know racial injustice having grown up in south africa but also being able to understand the deep and painful history of of blackness in America, and that would be my final my final recommendation. 
Amazing. Thank you for such a diverse list and oh, what a fantastic selection. Thank you so much. Dalisu, we've reached the conclusion of this episode of Before the Come Up. I am so, so grateful for you sharing your story, your background. I feel like I've learned so much. I, I think this is um, one of those episodes. I mean, just listening to you talk about your upbringing, your family, there were certain points which were, for me, I found very inspirational, very emotional. Um, your voice is one that carries a lot of weight and knowledge behind it. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for you, you know, volunteering to be on this podcast and sharing your story. It's, it's a real honor. Um, the thing that I really took away from, from some of the things you were saying and the part, which I just felt, um, it, it, it resonated very strongly. And this was the part about when you were talking about how you want your legacy to be basically allowing people to see their full potential, people being able to believe. I think that's so powerful, you know, and please continue to seek that as what you want your legacy to be because I think you have a talent. Um, keep shining it, brother. And the last words are yours. Oh, wow. Thank you for having me here. What you're doing is incredible. You are... You are creating history. This is living history. And um, so thank you for having me. And really grateful to be spending the next two years in New York City with people like you. Um, because, you know, you've given us an opportunity to share our stories and meet other interesting people. So I hope you don't discount the role you play as the connector, as the intellectually curious person and curious about people's stories and I think that's powerful so I'd say I, I'll end off with thanking you uh, for this incredible work that you are doing Cold summer night Should have put my arm around your shoulder I'll just hold you Cause last night I was thinking all these things I'm not supposed to I guess I didn't see it coming Guess I was afraid of loving someone again